All right, we're going to go ahead and get started with our Wednesday night class. Um, we're going to kind of follow up a little bit of Sunday morning's lesson. We're going to go back into the Old Testament. We're going to go back a little bit in time to Cain and Abel. And most of us know this story, so I want to, I want to spend a little bit more time tonight on the details, really, than um, really reliving the whole story. So, with that being said, we're going to go ahead and get right into the scriptures. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 4. That's where the, the story of Cain and Abel is. And uh, we're going to jump around to a couple other scriptures too. So Genesis chapter 4 says this. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. So this is one of those times where we get into the scripture and we try to figure out why did this happen? There's really not a whole bunch before this moment that will give us um, to figuring out why this happened. But why was it that Cain's sacrifice was not good and pleasing to the Lord and that Abel's sacrifice was good and pleasing to the Lord? After all, some might say that Cain was a farmer, a planter, if you will. He was working the ground, so he brought fruit from his labor, just like Abel was a, was a shepherd, and therefore he brought the best, the first fruits uh, of his flock. So does that mean that Cain's fruits weren't good? I actually heard a guy once say that he brought fruit from the ground, and that the, that scripture meant that he brought rotten fruit. For those of us who live in Florida, we know that if you grab an orange off the ground, it's probably not going to taste like an orange you picked from the tree. I personally don't think that's actually uh, what the scripture's saying. I think there was a little bit more to that. So why, why was one sacrifice good and the other not? I've also heard people say this. They say, well, Abel brought a lamb. And if you follow the Old Testament all the way into the New Testament, of course we know Jesus was the actual sacrificial lamb for the sin of all people. Abel made the proper sacrifice. Cain made the improper sacrifice. I think that's very difficult to establish also in the context of Scripture for the simple reason that, as we discussed on Sunday morning, we have people who, and actually the last Wednesday when we were discussing Romans 5, we have people who knew the law and had been brought the law under Moses, which is where you actually start getting um, the commands for the specific sacrifices. And then you have people who were not under the law of Moses being before that time. And we discussed how sacrifice was always part of it, uh, as far as we know, all the way back to this moment. So why? If it wasn't the fact that it was a lamb versus... Um, fruit and plant and vegetation, if it wasn't uh, the fact that one brought rotten food and one brought the best portion of their 
uh, food, why was the sacrifice not acceptable to God? Why was Cain's sacrifice not acceptable? The first clue we get is in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 4. It says this, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. So part of it was the faith that Abel had when he was preparing and coming to the altar, okay? So I want to depart for a second. I want to talk about this for a minute because if you really think about it, you want to break it down for a second, you really think about it and try to bring it into modern terms. Religion versus faith. Religion versus faith. Sometimes it sounds weird, really, to have them competing. It sounds weird to put them in opposite positions, but sometimes we have to to really break down where we're at in our own personal life, okay? Think about the scenario that's played out in front of us. We have two people, they're bringing a sacrifice, they're both there, they're both in attendance, they're both experiencing the same thing. You just have one person that's having a completely different experience than another. You have one person that is being held in high regard to God, while you have another that's not, the sacrifice isn't being regarded at all. And I think this leads to the first problem that we have with Cain's sacrifices. Cain was going through the motions. He was doing what he was supposed to do, but there was nothing behind it. There was nothing behind it. And I think it's dangerous at times with us where we get into the day-to-day -day pattern and the routines, which I know we're all shook up on right now, but it's so easy even still to get in your routine, to go through the motions, and never actually engage what God is looking for. It's easy to check the box, come and attend, turn on the computer, but never actually check the box that God is looking for. So I think we have to really think about when we are trying to follow God, if we're doing it because we're supposed to, which is, it's a good place to start, but deeper than that, it needs to come from a place where we want to. And to me, that's the difference between somebody who's religious and somebody who is faithful to their belief in God, to their religion. Okay? And I think that's part of what's going on here with Cain. So let's get, let's get back into it. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? This is another hint to what's going on with Cain. Look at what God says to him. He says, if you do well, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So if you do well, then I will accept you. That's what God says. So there could be credence to the fact that the sacrifice really wasn't up to par also. But I think, again, as Hebrews tells us over and over and over again, that it's not really what we do that 
gives God regard for us in our sacrifice. It's the faith that we have that leads us to that sacrifice that is credited to us as righteousness. It's not the actual act. It's the engagement and why we're doing it. It's the relationship we've established with God. It's the fact that we've allowed him to become Lord of our life. And we don't do things because it's an expectation. We do things because it's what we desire to do. We desire to be like God. We desire to be godly. You know, another part of this story that's not clearly seen in the text is the idea that you have to know your place with God. And this is a part of the text that I didn't put in that really reveals this to me because it's toward the end of the story. But you have to know your place with God. It's interesting that after um, Cain kills Abel, I know I just shocked everybody with the ending before we got there. But after Cain kills Abel and God comes down and gives him his curse, what's interesting, most interesting to me is this. First of all, can you imagine having a relationship with God, with God where he literally comes to you in your presence? That would probably be an amazing experience in itself. But then to imagine sinning against God and God cursing you, and the first thing you think about, think about this now, Cain, the first thing he says is, I can't handle this. If you banish me and you put me out there, what, are, what is everybody else going to think? Once they find out I killed my brother, they're going to kill me. What is everybody else going to think? You notice the response, if you, if you uh, scroll down in your, in your Bibles and find that, those verses, you'll notice in the response that the first thing that Cain keyed in on was, what is everybody else going to think? He's got God standing there before him, talking to him about what he just did, the biggest mistake in his life, and he's not even concerned with the separation that it's creating between him and God. He's concerned about his life. He's concerned about what his actions are going to, how they're going to lead to the way people view him the rest of his life, not the way God views him. But if you do well, You'll be accepted. If you do not, sin is crouching at your door. See, the story could have been completely different. It could have been completely different. Cain could have come in humbleness. He probably would have brought something different if he came in humbleness. In fact, God probably would have been pleased with his sacrifice because his humbleness would have come from his faith in God. Whereas Abel, he brought his, he brought his best. And we know that because the scripture indicates that. And he came from a place of humbleness, in my opinion. A place where he realized his need for God. And because of that, it made him have a desire to give, to offer to God, not anything, not even something, but the best thing. Cain could have repented. Cain could have repented. The Bible would have been written completely different, potentially, on Cain's part of the story. 
but he didn't. There wasn't humbleness in his response. There wasn't humbleness when God confronted him in this moment. There was anger, which we're going to get to a little bit later. So verse 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, after God had told him, if you don't, if you don't learn to rule this, it's crouching at your door. Before long, it's going to be in and own you. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? You know, it's interesting that the first few times man sins, and that is, that's recorded in the Bible, it's interesting to me that God comes down all of a sudden and he starts asking questions as if he doesn't know what's going on. You know, I was thinking about this from a parental standpoint, and I think it's just good advice, so I'm going to give it to you real quick. For those of you who might be parents that will watch this in the next 20 years, um, when you come into a scenario, even if you already know what the scenario is, it's still good to ask questions. Why? Because when you ask questions, especially when things are fresh, it reveals the heart. It reveals the heart. And I think that's a big part of what's actually going on here with God and his questions. Because does God already know the answer? Cain tries to lie to him. Look what it says right here. The Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Shows a whole lot about his heart. He just killed his brother. He thinks he's hidden it from the world. Here comes God asking him a question. Yet again, is he humble? Is he repentive? Does he acknowledge his guilt? No. He tries to lie and cover it up. But without the question, you can't see the true heart, the true motive behind the action. So just something to think about when you're parenting. I also think about Solomon, and he didn't know the situation between the mothers, so he started asking questions. The questions didn't lead him to the right place, so he got a sword and looked for a response. <clears throat> I'm not saying bring a sword to your children, by the way. <laughs> so again, God asked the question. Cain lies. Verse 10, and the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's, brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. In other words, I already know what you did. Why are you lying to me, Cain? And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. So here's the question. First and foremost, am I my brother's keeper? I think it's an important question because I don't think a lot of us really like to, to answer it um, as honestly as maybe the scriptures do. Because what that does is it indicates me to be responsible for more than just myself. But if you really think and break down the community of the church, isn't that the whole principle that it's built upon? Now I'm going to give you a scripture. 1 John chapter 3. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. But look what he says right here. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Again, we have a scripture that is telling us the motive behind the decisions that Cain made. He 
killed his brother because his brother did the right thing and Cain did the wrong thing. He killed his brother because his brother's sacrifice was regarded by God and his sacrifice was not regarded by God. There's no other reason. Which is why it's important to talk about bitterness. If you've lived on earth long enough, then you've been through things in your life that haven't worked out quite the way you planned them. And bitterness can creep in subtly, easily, seamlessly into your life. And I can tell you from my own personal experiences that bitterness is one thing that is used to destroy relationships. Why? Because when you're bitter... You're jealous of other people. When you're bitter, you covet what other people have. When you're bitter, it leads to anger. It leads to wrath. It leads to malice. So we have to guard ourselves against bitterness. Man, I understand when you plan something for your life, and it doesn't come out the way you, you planned it. I understand the frustration that comes with that. I understand the feeling of rejection that sometimes we get from God because maybe we've laid that plan before God and we felt like this was the direction we were supposed to go, and when we got to the point, we got rejected. It didn't work out the way you always thought that God would make it work out. Bitterness grows. It doesn't, start, it doesn't just stop at bitterness. Bitterness roots into your life and into your relationships with others, even your significant other, and with God. It's easy to become bitter in life. It's something we need to guard ourselves from and I'll tell you why in a minute. Hebrews 12, verse 15, says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. See, one of the things I want you to realize about bitterness is it doesn't just affect you. It doesn't just affect me. It affects everyone around me. Bitterness is contagious. And right now in the time that we live in, where a lot of things, a lot of plans have been messed up, a lot of things aren't going the way we always thought they would. It's really easy to allow this to rule your life, to creep into every aspect, to become negative about everything, and not see the positives that God is still giving out every single day. If you're watching this, you're alive. That's a blessing from God no matter what. Most of us, we don't need help to get up. We don't need help to get to the places we need to go. That's a blessing. And God provides every single blessing 
And yet he's constantly providing all these blessings for us every single day that we really, well, let me speak from my own heart, that I at times have a hard time acknowledging are from God, right? I mean, the food on your table that we're taught from a child to pray for. How often is it easy to overlook that? You know, I, I asked my, my mom and dad one time, why do we pray for our food? We, get, we buy it. We prepare it. We eat it. Why do we pray for it? And it's just a reminder of the blessings every single day that we receive from God. And here's the problem, is sometimes we get an attitude where we think, I can handle this myself. So this goes back to that point of humbleness, and I know I'm a little bit all over the place tonight. But there's so much I want to share with you from this scripture. Because my humbleness in God makes me realize that there's actually nothing that I can attain that is good without him. There's actually nothing I can do that is righteous without him. And once I understand that, bitterness has a hard place at least to stay in your life. It can creep in and it can leave just as fast as it comes in at times. And sometimes it can stay longer than you realize because you didn't realize it soon enough. But the reality is, once I understand my position with God and everybody else is in that same position, and it's only by the grace of God that I am what I am, it makes life a lot harder to be bitter about. And it makes life a lot easier to be grateful for. I like to think I'm a positive person myself. I like to think that I'm typically happy, that I'm typically somebody that uh, is fun to be around. But man, when I get bitter, it's even hard to put on a front. And it starts to wreck everything, slowly but surely, that God has been working on. And again, it doesn't just end with you, it spreads. Look at the scripture again. Many become defiled through one person's bitterness, through the root of bitterness in one person. So Ephesians 4.31 says this too. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Just a simple Scripture to back up everything that I just said. Bitterness is where it starts. It leads to so many other things. It was, it was Cain's bitterness that led him to murder. And you think it doesn't affect others, but it leads to things that affect others. So I wanted to finish with 1 John chapter 3, because we started at the beginning, so I'm going to flip back to that real quick. And I want to come full circle on this passage because I want you to see this in its entirety, to see where it ends up, okay? So it says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, 
who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. So let's go back. And then he says this, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So am I my brother's keeper? Of course we're each other's brother's keeper. Of course we're responsible for one another. Of course we are. Part of the, of the greatest command was not just to love God, but it was to love one another. And looking out for one another is part of what we are brought together for. So he starts with this idea of not being like Cain and not allowing this bitterness to creep in your life. And not, this is the really important part, because I think there's a part of this scripture, let me go back to it real quick. I think there's a, oh, went too far back. I think there's a part of this scripture, it's actually at the beginning of the first one, so sorry about this. Should have put it down here. I almost did when I was, when I was planning this. Um, part of the scripture, I think, reveals a truth that is relevant in life that maybe it's hard for those of us who have been Christians for a long time in our life to realize. But I think if we can, if we can channel back to the times before, if we can really think about the times before we were a Christian and the way we thought about the world and the way we felt about others, I think we can see this truth that comes out in this scripture. You see, good doesn't like evil just as much as evil doesn't like good. Which is why he finishes with, don't be surprised when the world hates you. Look, we have to get out of the box that thinks that every person is just good. Without God, without anything, if everybody was just left untouched, they would just be good. Man has shown through, from the beginning of time, throughout all of time, that that's just not true. If man was good, we wouldn't have words in our, in our dictionary like war. If man was good, we wouldn't have stories in the Bible like Cain killing his brother. If man was good... There wouldn't be tons of people starving in the world right now. A whole lot of us know about it. We've known about it for years. But nothing changes. Because the world is not inherently good. And man is not inherently good. It's actually only with the love of of Christ, the freedom that we have in Christ, that we can be good. Not because we're all of a sudden good people. That's actually not what the scripture says. Scripture really says we're good because God is. And he's willing to overlook where we're bad. So don't be surprised 
when the world doesn't like what you're doing, when you're glorifying God. Don't be surprised when you share your faith with a group of friends that there's not somebody that doesn't like what you're saying. Don't be surprised when you step out in faith that there's not somebody there trying to trip you up. Don't allow it to make you bitter. Don't allow it to affect who you are as a person. It's easier said than done. Don't be surprised when you give your life to God and bad things happen in your life. Because the more and more I read the scriptures, the more and more I realize when we step out for God, there are great things that happen. But there are mountains to climb in those moments. And there are giants to fight. Just wanted to say thank you so much for listening tonight to our Wednesday night class. I also wanted to uh, just put in the, in the comment section, if the scriptures were too hard to read in your situation, let me know. I made them a little bit smaller tonight for my own personal reasons. Um, and so if, there, if it's too difficult, we'll go back to the bigger font. Uh, again, thank you so much for tuning in tonight and uh, hope you got something out of the conversation.